0: 21 verses in Romans chapter 10, but some good stuff, good stuff here in Romans chapter 10. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to open up this book and to study it and to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Teach us, Father, uh, through your word, by your spirit here this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So. Book of Romans, we've been going through, it's a very doctrinal book, it's a book that teaches us about who we are in Christ, where we've come from, where we are today, and, and really ultimately where we're headed to. In the context of Romans, the first eight verses are dealing with God's uh, plan of salvation essentially, the fact that He has given a witness to all of us uh, through creation, through our conscience, through... Uh, The law of Moses, all of those things God has given witness to himself, uh, to us, originally that came through the Jews. The testimony of the law came through the Jews. And so the question becomes, as we concluded Romans chapter 8, okay, if God has done this amazing work for the Gentiles, has brought them into the fold, has justified them by grace through faith, then what of the Jews? because by and large the jewish nation had rejected jesus christ it says in john chapter 1 i mentioned this last week that he came to his own but his own received him not but to those who did receive him he gave the power to become sons and daughters of god we are adopted into his family so then what of the jewish nation the the jews had been chosen by god beginning with abraham as a witness as a testimony To the world. And of course, it was through the Jews that the law came. God gave the law to Moses there on Mount Sinai. It was through the Jews that the prophetic word came to the world. And also, it was through the Jews, ultimately, the Messiah came. Jesus Christ was born ethnically as a Jew, he was raised as a Jewish boy. He went to synagogue there in Capernaum and in Nazareth. So what of the Jewish nation? Well, that's what Paul is dealing with. That is the question that he is answering in chapters 9, 10, and 11. Of course, last week, we saw the reality of the sovereignty of God. And I want to stop and and talk about that just for a moment. God, if he is God, not a man-made creation. I mean, there's a lot of gods out there that people create in their minds. But the true and the living God, by definition, is infinite. He is the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. And so there's nothing that can escape His notice. He is previous. Remember I told you that like last week? God is previous in all respects. He comes first. And so, God as sovereign knows all things. He knows what is going to happen before it happens. He declares the end from the beginning, Isaiah said. And so he knew that his son would come to the Jewish nation and be rejected of them. That was not a surprise to God. And in fact, we'll see in the study today in Romans chapter 10 that the, the law of God, the testimony of God in the Old Testament was very clear that God expected this to happen and it would be through the Jewish rejection of the Messiah that the Gentiles would be grafted in to the family of faith. So you have to understand that. And it's a a challenging concept, the idea of God who knows everything, God who is previous, God who can look into our very hearts and understand things that we don't even know about ourselves that that very God would create people that he knew would reject him. You know, people ask that question. Well, if God knew that the Jews were going to reject him, or if God knew or understood that there would be people who would turn away from him and not come to him in faith and would ultimately go to a devil's hell, why would he create them? And ultimately, some of those answers Uh, They're very difficult to come to. Ultimately, God reserves those things for himself. I know this. I know that before the world was created, that God the Son was crucified in the mind of God. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So God knew that. I also know this. I know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whomsoever should believe on Him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. So I want to reiterate what I told you last week. When you are confronted by things that you don't understand, hold on to those things that you do understand. And that sometimes will give you peace. Peace. So Romans chapter 10, we're still dealing with the Jewish nation in context here, but in application, it goes far beyond just the Jews, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And remember how he began chapter 9, where he, be, he, he talked about the fact that if it were within his power, he would sacrifice his own soul so that the Jews could be saved. That's how much he loved his brothers and sisters who were Jews. It is his desire that they may be saved. For he has a relationship with them. He can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based upon knowledge. Now, if you go back and look in the Old Testament, what you will find is when the, the Israelites left Egypt and came into the land of Canaan. They were confronted by seven nations that were idolatrous to the core. Ultimately, it was going to be the Israelites' responsibility to overcome the Canaanites and to remove them and replace them in the land because the Canaanites had become so idolatrous. Well, as they entered into the land, ultimately, instead of the Israelites impacting the Canaanites, what happened was the reverse, They did not destroy all of the Canaanites. They did not remove them all from uh, the promised land. The Canaanites were there, and the Jews were affected by their presence. The Jews became very idolatrous. And God continually had to deal with the Jewish nation because of their idolatry. Ultimately, that led to the Jews being removed into exile. The, the northern tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken by Assyria. Then later, the southern kingdom of Judah was taken by Babylon. And they were removed from the land that had been promised to them because of their idolatry, because of their failure to, to by faith, live out their relationship with God. So they're taken out to Assyria, to Babylon. Ultimately, they return to the land. We read about that in Nehemiah and Ezra. Ultimately, they return to the land and are reestablished as a people, as a nation. One of the, the many miraculous things about the Jewish people. So they're back in the land. Never again, once they are returned to, to the promised land, do the Jews engage in widespread idolatry. They become hyper zealous for the law as Paul is alluding to here. They become very focused on keeping the law. And so much so that they begin to write books about the law and how to keep the law. In the Babylonian Talmud, there are 28 chapters, 28 chapters, just on how to keep the Sabbath. So this is what Jesus confronted the Jewish leaders with. They had elevated their commentary on the Old Testament Scriptures to a place that was more important than the Scriptures themselves. For example, in the Talmud, it talks about keeping the Sabbath. It was allowable to spit on the Sabbath so long as your spit landed upon a rock. If your spit landed upon dirt, it then became mud, and that was considered work. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that they were doing. So they were very zealous. But Paul says here, their zealotry was not based on knowledge. They did not understand God's heart, God's plan for them. They did not know the righteousness of God, verse 3, and thus sought to establish their own righteousness, and they did not submit, therefore, to God's righteousness. So they were trying to develop this way of living based upon their interpretation of the law, which Jesus said they elevated to a place higher than the law, and they missed the point because God's plan for righteousness was always by faith. God never designed that we would keep the law. It was impossible. And the Old Testament will reveal that. Paul says here that Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be a righteousness for everyone who believes. It's the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. He said, "I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill." Jesus was the point. Jesus was the prophet that was spoken of there in Deuteronomy chapter 17 that Moses said would come, that the people were to look for. Jesus was the Messiah. And he was the culmination or the, the completion, the focal point of everything that the law taught. And the Jews missed it. The Jews became more focused on their interpretation of the law, their application of the law, and, and really their, their, their own righteousness as they perceived in the maintenance of the law. And they missed the point of the Messiah. When Jesus came, they did not receive him. And so that's what Paul is pointing out here. They're zealous for God, but they don't understand God. They missed the mark. Moses writes about this righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, quoting from Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. And Moses says, if you're going to live by the law, then you have to keep the entire law. It's the same thing that James says. If you keep the entire law, but fail in one point, then you're guilty of the entire law. You're a lawbreaker. So you imagine it, if it were possible, living your entire life perfectly keeping the law, all Ten Commandments, all of the the intent of God, you keep everything until that one point you're in that difficult situation and you tell a little white lie. Busted. You're a lawbreaker. You violated the commandment, thou shalt not lie. And you're guilty before God. So, so we can't be righteous in our own. Moses points out that if you're going to live by the law, you have to keep all of the law. But the righteousness that is by faith, Paul points out here, says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into deep that, to the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So here Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And it's Moses' farewell speech essentially to the Jews uh, before he dies and is uh, buried by God. In this passage here, Moses said, Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Or who will descend into the deep? In other words, what Moses is pointing out here is that salvation is God's work. You can't do it. You can't accomplish salvation in your own strength. You cannot keep the law. Don't say into your heart, who will ascend into heaven? In other words, who among us is going to to rise up into heaven to bring down the righteousness of God? Or who will descend into the deep and bring up those from the dead who have passed? Ultimately, and Paul gives a little commentary here. He says, "Ascending into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Descending into the deep, that is to bring Christ up. Speaking specifically of the reality that salvation is God's work. It is God's work through his Messiah who would come down incarnated as a man and ultimately be killed, buried, and rise again and come up from the grave. But what Moses does say is even though salvation is not possible in your own strength, the Word is near you. That is, the pathway to God, faith, is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. And Paul says this is the message we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming that you have to have faith in order to be saved. You have to have trust in the work that God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you declare, now let's pay attention to this. This is important stuff. I said in context this is dealing with the nation of Israel, but in application it is universal. So pay attention to this. Some of you have already applied this to your life, but some of you haven't, so I want you to hear this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there it is. Salvation 101. How does a person become saved? How does a person become born again from the dead? Paul gives the prescription right here. You have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, that belief in your heart is speaking of... uh, physical, emotional, psychological, volitional surrender to God. It's not just a mental assent. It's not just saying, okay, that message sounds right to me. I could live with that. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about giving your inmost being to this belief. And out of the heart, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is truly in your heart, that's what comes out in your speech. And so if you truly believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that's going to impact your life. That's going to impact the way you live. That's going to impact how you speak. And, and speaking here is really a metaphor for living, a metaphor for the things that we do. If we believe this message, church, if we truly trust that God has raised Jesus from the dead, our lives ought to look different than they looked before we had that belief. They should be changed. We are new creatures in Christ. All of the old things have passed away. Everything has become new. So belief in our heart that's total surrender to God will impact the message that we have, the message that we convey, both through our words, but also through our actions. That is salvation. Do you believe? Have you surrendered your life to the gospel of Jesus Christ? You look at your life today, and then you look at your life five years ago. Is it the same? Is it different? Is it new? How about yesterday to today? These are hard questions, and I I raise them not because I know the answer, but I raise them because you have to examine yourself. It says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, to examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. We, all of us, ought to examine ourselves to determine, is my life different? Am I new? Is my speech different? changed from what it once was. If it is not, then today is the day of salvation. Today is your opportunity to become a new creature in Jesus Christ. How do I do that, Greg, you say? Well, you believe in the gospel message that Jesus Christ came down from heaven. He lived a sinless life. He died, was buried, and resurrected on the third day. And when you put your trust in that, again, physical, physical, Mental, emotional, volitional. When you do that, your life will be changed. I can guarantee it. Absolutely. God will take a hold of you and you will be a new creature in Christ. Amen. So, Paul is giving the message. Now, this message is for everyone. It's not just for the Gentiles, it's for the Jews also now, Paul is pointing out. Remember, in context, we're talking about the Jews. Paul says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That's coming from Isaiah 28. And from there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's coming from Joel chapter 2, the same scripture that G, or Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. So Paul is saying, now, what is happening to the Jews? Well, the Jews are in the same situation that the Gentiles are in. The Jews are in the same place. They have to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith and they will be saved. It's not through the temple. It's not through a keeping of the law. It's not through a national identity. The Jews come to faith the same way the Gentiles do, by trusting in the gospel message, by believing in the Son of God, His death, burial, and resurrection on their behalf. Forgiveness is available to everyone. All of our sins forgiven in Christ. Paul says, whether you are Jew or Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. So that's tough for Jews because the Jews always thought that they were special. They were unique. They were different from the Gentiles because God had called Abraham out. And through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 tribes were formed. And the Jews always felt themselves to be Uh, unique and different. And in fact, they were. They were the ones through whom God was going to get the message of the gospel out. But ultimately, that gospel was always going to go to the Gentiles. Again, God never gets surprised. This did not come to God as a surprise. And we're going to see that as we conclude this chapter. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, quoting from Isaiah 52.7. So Paul here is defending his missionary work, the fact that he has gone out as a missionary to the Gentiles. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, and his message was simply uh, a message of salvation by grace through faith, justification by faith. And Paul is saying, unless someone preaches to them, unless the message is delivered to them, they cannot believe. They cannot have faith. Now, as I read this passage, I always try to give personal application to it. And I ask myself, okay, how beautiful are my feet? Now, I'm not going to take my shoes off just so you can examine them. But it's a question that we all ought to ask ourselves. How beautiful are are our feet? What are we doing to communicate the gospel, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ? There's all different kinds of ways to do it. Some of you guys are prayer warriors. You're in your prayer closet continually, lifting up people and ministries in prayer. That's a powerful way to have beautiful feet. Some of you are very gifted when it comes to evangelism and speaking to other people about the gospel. Some of you sing beautifully and are able to convey worship unto God through music. Some of you have the gift of hospitality and fellowship. You invite people into your home. You, you are able to, just by uh, your sharing of your space and your life, communicate the love of God. There's all different kinds of ways to have beautiful feet, but I want you to ask the question to yourself, are my feet beautiful? Am I participating in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I teaching little children? Am I participating in a Bible study? Am I serving in the church and in the community? I mean, again, it's endless the ways that your feet can be made beautiful, but it always revolves around communicating the name of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes when when that message is communicated, people don't receive it. They don't hear it. They don't buy into it. That's okay. Paul says, even the Israelites didn't hear it. Verse 16, not all of the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So the message gets preached. People go out. You do all of those things that I just mentioned that all of you do, serving in the community, serving in the church, serving in the home, spreading the word of God. Some people hear it and receive it. They hear the message about Jesus Christ and they understand that God raised him from the dead and they put their heart and soul into it and they believe and trust in it. Some people don't, just as the Jews did not. The faith comes, the gift of faith comes, comes when you hear the message of Christ and you appropriate it. You make it yours. You understand that God is speaking to you. And some of you who are hearing my voice here this morning, God is speaking to you. Your heart is being pricked. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he is saying to you, I want you to become a part of my family. I want you to trust in the message that has been preached about my son, who gave his life for you and rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Your heart is being touched by the Holy Spirit right now. He wants you to become a part of his family. He wants your feet to become beautiful. He is giving you the gift of faith, but you need to receive it. You need to understand that he's speaking to you. Don't let that that voice go ignored. Ignored. Paul asks in verse 18, did they not hear? Of course they did. And this is what I'm talking about right now. The the message is going out. The, 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 The word of Christ is going forth. And you're hearing it. But not everybody who hears appropriates. Not everybody who hears takes that to heart and has their lives changed. The Jews did hear. But they did not receive. Paul quotes Psalm 19 here. Their voice has gone out into all the earth. Their words to the the ends of the world. Quoting from Psalm 19, which is a great psalm, it talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God, creation revealing to us the existence of a creator. And so you could look at that psalm and say, well, it applies to the Gentiles. They're the ones who who have creation as their testimony. But if you continue to read in Psalm 19, what you'll find is it talks about the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It was also the message to the Jews. And the message was given to them, but they did not hear it. They did not receive it by faith. Again, I ask, verse 19, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. This is out of Deuteronomy 32, talking about the fact that from the very beginning, God intended to have the Gentiles come in, that people who were not a nation who would make the Jews angry. So it was always part of God's plan. Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Again, God's revelation of the gospel to the Gentiles. The people who did not have the law, who did not have the temple, who did not have the ordinances, did not have all of the things that God had given to the nation of Israel. It was those people to whom the gospel would go forth. And it was the Gentiles who would readily and eagerly receive it. You look at the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, Philip begins to preach the gospel in Samaria, a region of the nation of Israel that was despised by the Jewish uh, religious people. They hated the Samaritans. And yet there's Philip out there preaching and a great revival occurring. Samaritans coming by the droves to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, of course, himself had planted the seed with the woman at the well there in John chapter 4. And then later... In Acts chapter 10, the word of the gospel goes to a Roman centurion. Peter preaches to him. He believes his whole household is converted. And then from that point forward, the message going out there to the Gentiles. till they have the conference in Jerusalem in, in Acts 15. And they totally divest The gospel from keeping the Jewish ordinances and the law. They said, God has given the gospel to the Gentiles. Let's run with that. It's God's plan. That's what He's doing. We're going to go with it. So the plan was always to get the message out to the Gentiles. But concerning Israel, He says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. The Jews did not receive God's message of salvation by grace through faith. They tried to create a righteousness of their own. A pathway to God where they reached up and tried to pull down or reached down and tried to pull up. They tried to do it on their own. So here's, here, here's the bottom line for, for what we're talking about this morning. The message is gone out. The gospel's been preached for 2,000 years, but here this morning, as we sit here together, those of you who are hearing my voice on the radio, The message has gone out. God is calling you to faith. God is calling you to a righteousness not of your own, but a righteousness based upon the work that His Son Jesus Christ did on a cross in Judea 2,000 years ago. But you have to believe. You have to trust. You have to take a hold of that and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and change your life. Otherwise, the message is just like it was to the Jews. It was heard. They did not receive it by faith. It bounced off and had no effect. You can have new life in Christ. All of your sins forgiven. Everything that you've ever done, all of the sorrow, all of the sadness, all of the the difficulty that you have dealt with in your life, all washed away you become a new creature in Christ. It's hope, people. It is hope for tomorrow, hope for a future, hope for heaven, certainly, but within this life, hope that no matter where you go, what you do, God is with you. You're never alone because you're his kid, part of his family. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the promise that you have given to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And just as Jesus' last words to us were, Go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So too here this morning, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would go forth Speak to people who need to hear and to believe. Touch their hearts. Rend it, Lord God, so that they might come to you in simple faith. For the rest of us, Lord, those of us who have believed, those of us who have trusted, help us to grow in faith. I'm just mindful of that passage there in verse 17 here in chapter 10. That faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Increase our faith, Lord. Help each of us to find out how we can make our feet more beautiful. Today, tomorrow, and into the future. Bless your word, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing Fairest Lord Jesus, my favorite hymn to sing this time of year. Springtime, it talks about that in this hymn. I just love this hymn. So, Fairest Lord Jesus. Amen, if you heard the message today, if the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and the Father raised him up, speak it out. Tell someone today, this week, tell someone, something happened to me Sunday morning, my life's different, I don't know what it is, but I believe and I'm changed. Let's gather around and we will have a time of worship and testimony. Oops, I'll take a hold of my wife (laughs) here. Well, hopefully uh, everyone's going to do something nice for their moms today. I just want to remind everybody that there are some signups back in the entryway, both for uh, Zacchaeus Dinners and for... Uh, men's breakfast next month also just want to remind everyone that the hour of prayer occurs from 11 to 12 up in my office I'm really hopeful we've got a full house actually that is in my office most every Sunday I'm hopeful that we can expand that to where we have a couple of groups maybe another group down in the prayer counseling room so if God is speaking to you about uh, initiating or engaging in a ministry of prayer hour of prayer is a good place to do it okay Testimonies, prayer requests, things people would like to share. Gerald. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's good news. Yeah, that's worth that's worth a clap. You that. Yeah, Robert. Greg, I'd like to have everybody say prayers for people that lost their mothers years ago and also for women who spread mothers that lost children through whatever Absolutely. Definitely be praying for them. As Jenny said, sometimes it can be a double edged sword on Mother's and Father's Day. Roger and Connie Cheshire are here somewhere. Oh, yep. Welcome back. (laughs) Connie has a lot of things to testify about. I'm not going to put you too much on the spot here, Connie, but you should share um, a little bit about what God's done in your life this past year. And in addition to that, rotator cuff surgery in February. Know, that was sure. Yeah, that's nothing. <laughs> that's nothing. Other testimonies? Anybody? Oh, Christy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes? Uh, we have a family friend named Lee Warfield who is um, he's in the hospital uh, last stages of cancer. Okay. So just prayer for Lee going through the last stages of cancer, holding him up. Okay. Yes, Chris? ends the week to find that and we Amen. Amen. well said. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, we just lift up each of these prayer requests to you. We give you thanks that you hear us that we can come before your throne of grace to receive help in time of need. And we pray for each of these situations, some of them very, very difficult, some of them joyful and thankful for the work that you have done and continue to do. And, and really, Lord, that is the foundation of, of who we are as Christians, our relationship with you, our trust in, in your love and in your power. And for that, we do give thanks sing hallelujah to the lord sing